ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Inspire Before We Expire show. I am your host, Terrell Sumter. Guys, I must say I'm very grateful, thankful, and graceful to be here yet another week with you all, to share another message with you all. It's going to really inspire and move you in the right direction. Guys, I don't want to take too much of your time, but you know how I start each and every last one of these shows. I want you all to close your eyes. Five to ten seconds. I want you to breathe in, breathe out. And I want you to visualize. Where do you see yourself in the next six months? People, I want you to understand and to know that you're not alone. That we all go through some difficulty. We all go through, you know, challenges at this moment in time, especially in the time that we're currently in. But we're right here with you to guide you every step of the way, to help you find your happiness again, to help you step truly into your power again. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to take too much of your time. I have a very, very special guest on the show. It's her first time on the show, and I'm delighted to share her message with you all. Uh, man, I must say, this is she's the founder, proud founder of Pause and Joy, and, one of the, and has been featured as healers and teachers in the hit documentary, Heal on Netflix. Go ahead and check that out as well. She teaches an awareness program to use in your life to overcome breakthrough limited belief seeing, turn your mindset around. She works with people who are diagnosed with disease and those who have diagnosed themselves with the disease of delay and holding themselves back from the life they came here to live. Oh man, I'm so excited to introduce you guys to the, the one and only, my good friend, Miss Patty, Miss Patty Penn. Yes, Patty, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, I'm so excited. Absolutely. Yes. Thank I love your message. I love your inspirational story. I love how you keep people in the in the doing. Absolutely. Proud to have you today. I know you're in uh, L.A., right? Yeah, in L.A. All righty. SoCal, the city of angels. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, indeed. Sure. So, Pat, I know it's your very first time on the show. I just really wanted you to give us a background of you and exactly where your journey really first started. Um... You know, I was brought up with uh, metaphysics, energy work uh, in my family. You know, I was brought up in, a, in Glasgow in a working class family. But uh, what we did was something that, you know, this is back in the 70s. You know, it wasn't something that you went out and kind of talked about because people, you know, didn't really kind of get it. It was something that you found in bookstores or you talked about, you know, um, secretly. And then, you know, I, I just went into, I went into business. I became successful in London. And then, you know, it was, you know, I had my own personal practice, but it was only when my parents started to uh, get into their late fifties and my father uh, started to exhibit, um, depression but then it went into clinical depression and I came back from America and I watched how he was being treated and they were, he was being treated by um, medicine by uh, really it was just kind of put you in a psychiatric ward and you know try and give you this 
you know, look at your chemical imbalance. And uh, I wasn't brought up like that by these two people. <laughs> so I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and I knew that I needed, so I went back uh, home to Glasgow for about three and a half years. And while at the same time, I was like, what am I going to do here? Because I don't want to work for somebody because I don't want to be asking for time off to go, you know, between hospitals. My mother was also uh, diagnosed with cancer at the time, a tumor. And I decided that I was going to start a business. And I started a hunting business, which was really easy for me because I could tune in to finding the right people for the people that I knew in London while I was able to say, okay, what is it that I need to do here for them? You know, my dad's head feels as if it's going to explode. That was his words. He felt as if he couldn't cope with life. And I, I, my own spiritual practice, I felt like I needed to have in a more formal manner, you know, something that was um, certain levels I could move through that would make me more confident as I moved through. And, uh, and I started to study uh, Reiki in Glasgow. And I found the Reiki master that I wanted to uh, um, work with was someone that came from a kind of Western model of medicine, someone who can, could understand what I was going to go into and the language that I needed to understand and for uh, us to be able to communicate. Because I knew that my father's depression was emotional. Yeah. And I knew there was a lot of things that happened in his childhood. And I knew, you know, you can't, you can't outrun it. You can get as successful as you like in life, but certain things come and you have to look at them. Right. And this is where my father was. He was, I think he was in his late 50s, 58, coming up to 60, which is your second Saturn return. There's one at 30 and there's one at 60. And the one at 30 is very much, you know, who are you hanging out with? What are you doing? You know, all the things that you bought into, what success was. Are you happy? But are you really happy? Who are you really without people telling you what to believe in? What are your, what's your belief system? What is your direct connection? So that happens at 30 and then at 60, it comes back around again and it's a little bit different because what you didn't look at when you were at 30 will be waiting for you at 60. So, so, gosh. Yeah. so yeah. then, yeah, for my father, he was uh, in that space and, and I knew that there were certain things that we needed to look at, but we needed to look at together, but it was at his pace because you can't force someone even though it's family and you you so want them to get better and you so want them but then that's sometimes agenda driven you know and it's not um really having the patience and having the um being there for what their needs are and meeting them where they're at so seeing your father really go through the stage of being depressed you know from like you say at early age and it just developed as you got older as well like um when did it come in time where you felt like man i gotta really step in to really help him get through this you know because um well, that was in my 30s that's when he became clinically depressed he wasn't depressed when i was younger 
But oh, okay. when he when he got into his late fifties, he he um, he knew that there was something wrong, and then you know he actually uh, voluntarily uh, went into uh, the psychiatric ward. Right. What was wrong with him though? Though why was he depressed? Like what was going on in you guys' life? Childhood, and then my mother was also dying. She was in the ICU, okay. all wired up to like a machine that she was on her way out, and everything was just kind of imploding within him. Right. Uh, and he, you know, he he was also doing an emotional inventory in his life of what have I done with my life? Who am I? You know. Was, have I been a good father? Like, could I have done better? You know, all these kind of different things that he was going through that were all now all happening simultaneously. Yes. And his life partner was, you know, gonna uh, die. And I had to help him unpack all of that. Right. And that was like my first client. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talk about, you know, uh, jumping in at the deep end, but it taught me a lot about meeting people where they were at. It taught me a lot about when to push people and when to, when it when to pull back. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I think that's amazing. You know uh, that your father was your first client. So exactly, you know. Um, well, I didn't know we, it at the time. I was just doing it to help him. I didn't know I was going to go into this work. I was a reluctant healer. Gotcha. This, was not, this was not something that was that I kind of really kind of didn't want to get into yeah I had my own practice my own thing I didn't want to kind of be working with other people's stuff you know I was brought up in a generation that was you know you kept that behind closed doors that was right. people's private business that's how they got you that was people's private business Indeed. you know rather than no this is all of our business this is We've all got the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So your your mother passed away from cancer. No, she survived too. She survived. Okay. Um, awesome. Yeah. Sorry when, about that. I'm, I apologize. No, not at all. You know, uh, she. If, if you had seen it at the time, it would have been. You know, she's gonna. Uh, she's gonna pass. But, you know, I gave her the Celestine prophecies to read, and I said, "It's not your time. Get back in your body." Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have things to do and uh she she was like oh you're so cruel <laughs> she was ready to go because she you know it was overwhelming for her as well and right. then you know she you know she had the bowling ball removed uh from her stomach and then mm. he basically we started looking at her diet we started looking at her emotional upbringing as well we started looking at things that she needed to unpack. She also, in the in the operation, they made an error and she had to have a colostomy bag, which they really can't reverse in a lot of the situations. So, and, and she would say to me, well, you know, they, they, they say they can't reverse it and I don't really want to have this. I says, well, that's the 99.999. We're going to look at the 0 0.001 that you are and we're going to visualize you not having this bag. Right. We're going to visualize that this is not your story. This is not what's going to happen here. And we did that. And her surgeon, uh, who's a very famous surgeon in Scotland, he was like, no, I can't reverse it. 
and his assistant said he would reverse it. Okay. And he did. Wow, that's amazing. And how long was she how how long was she battling cancer and also during the time of seeing your, your father being depressed and also seeing your mother go through that stage, you know, cancer, like what came up for you? You know, when did it come to you to say that, okay, now and it's um you know well, seeing that well, for me, it wasn't about helping others at that point. It was just about being in it with them. And also, it was kind of like when you're really present in a situation, you know, you're in, the, you're in this place where there is only what's happening right now. And you can't get out of it. You're not going to wake up and it's going to be any different. You have to face... Um, the moment and yes. tell us about that speaking to that facing you know, the moment like facing the moment where i remember turning around to my um business partner at the time and he's like you okay and i said you know there's a little thread and it's a thread of sanity and insanity <laughs> and i'm holding it <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'm like, I'm worried. And, uh, and I could feel that moment where you, some people feel like they're going to crack up because it's all out of your hands, right? It's all, you know, but it's not. And you have to kind of surrender in this moment of, okay, what's the next phase? I remember giving my father... It was an old film by Will Smith. My father was a, a, a golfer, like everybody in Scotland's a golfer. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the national sport of Scotland. Okay. And, uh, and my, I gave my father this film that Will Smith was in called The Legend of Bagger Vance. And Will plays this kind of mysterious character that's the, the caddy for this golfer. And the golfer that is, has lost his swing, he's become an alcoholic uh, because of certain things. And it's played by Matt Damon. And I said to my father, I said, we're not going to talk about depression anymore. All that's happened with you is you've lost your swing. And we're going to get your swing back. And it doesn't matter how long it's going to take you. We're going to get your swing back. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. Right? <laughs> and that's all how we would refer to it. And I would say to him, this is a temporary condition that you're in. This is not something permanent. This is temporary. And he'd be like, all right, okay, okay. But after time, he started, that started to kind of seep in, you know? And he, it, took him, it took him a few turns to watch the film, Bagger Vance, because he, he didn't want to see it, you know? He didn't want to see the happy ending. He was so in this place that was dark and dense and he didn't want to come out of it. Indeed. No, that's amazing. What's the name of that film? The Legend of Bagger Vance. Okay. And you said starring Matt Damon and Will Smith? Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. So this was part of being able to help your father get through his stage of depression. Yeah. Plus his daughter being by his side and guiding him every step of the way too, correct? Yeah. Not, not we, exactly as his client we, just yet, but 
No, I, that that was not. You know, this was just helping my dad. I was being supportive. Work and I was looking all the things out there, and then I came across the tapping. You know, right. the tapping was something that was very big in Scotland right. because it was on golf courses and little tents because it was taking three to four strokes off a pro golfer's game. So what? Um, three to four strokes. Yeah. Because the difference in it's like life, you know, golf is like life. That's why a lot of people like presidents or business people play golf because it's about consistency on 18 holes. It's about not losing your emotion, letting your emotions get to you and ending up in the bunker. Well, ending up in the bunker in life could be like derailing your company. Right. Yeah. So it's about really kind of keeping yourself in a place of equanimity and, and, and being neutral uh, and keeping your emotional stability. So, yeah, it's uh, it was very it was very big amongst the 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 golfing fraternity because they were like, I don't care what this thing looks like. If it's taking three to four strokes off my handicap, I'm in. So what so a lot of people were using it for, for performance-related things. And then I started using it in my business for um, people who were going for interviews because I was doing headhunting, you know, for, okay. uh, in Scotland. But I was looking for people in London and Paris who were CEOs, who VPs, who hadn't been in interviews for 10 years or eight years. Okay. But I was kind of getting them over that mindset of I'm not good at interviews I'm yeah I only know how to do the job you know but uh and I was I was tapping on them as well so I was seeing it work in a more practical way of not just diagnosis because a lot of people know about the tapping through diagnosis but I use it with creatives I use it with uh, people who are diagnosed I use it with people who want to change their mindset I use it with people in business who know that they have an upper limit problem and they, they kind of know what it is and where it's coming from, from their childhood or from, you know, something their father said to them or something that their father didn't say to them. Right. Indeed. So um, what advice would you give to like a, maybe a younger woman out there who maybe have a father or a mother currently going through the stage of being depressed and they just don't know how to get through? Uh, what's what's something you really advise to help them get through that? I really think heal right now is I, I always say to people who reach out to me uh, uh, an email and, and ask that what, what you know how can I help my uncle or my father or I tell them just send them the link to heal and say you know what this is a really great documentary I think you would really enjoy it and leave it there yeah awesome because heal unpacks a lot for people and it makes people think, wow, this person really uh, uh, had some stuff going on and, you know, and it came out in their skin. And I wonder if that's going to happen for me. I mean, there's a lot of things that they can get from people. And it's really um, a really good, a good way of, of, of seeing it and looking at it. But also knowing that, you know what? I'm on this journey with you and whatever it is that you need, you know, just let me know. Um, sometimes, you know, you even doing work on yourself around them being ill because sometimes you bring that fear and you bring that anxiety of, I don't know how I'm going to help them. 
I really that, um, I'm at a loss, you know, and yeah. that mentality can sometimes bring you down as well. Yeah, indeed. I believe, you know, a lot of us like really go through some type of anxiety or something, depression, because just no matter how good or bad your life is, you know, we all are faced with something. We're just human, right? So speaking of Hill, the documentary, I wanted to ask as well, because I know you've lived in London, you've lived in Scotland, and you've lived in many places and now living in L.A., how did you really get started? Like who introduced you to the space of healing and uh, Reiki? And also, you know, as you go through down the line of getting connected and being in the Hill documentary. So feel free to take your time with that. Yeah. Well, who got me started? That's a, that's a tricky one because it's almost like I got, I, I was already started when I was two, okay. <laughs> you know, because I, we had healers in the house mentioning the people that were coming into the house that had normalized this uh, work for me. And then later on, I met, when I was 18, it was my first trip to America, I met a shaman who was in Florida, actually. And his name is Gordon Banta. And he had a a, um, radio show up in New York. And he also worked... I think he held the record of um, helping people in penitentiaries in in Florida. You know, he was very connected. He would channel, he would, you know, he was just a really good resource for me in talking about, you know, mindset and how we visualize and, you know, connecting to spirit, connecting to source, connecting to your calling. And I had him in my life at 18 and then I didn't reconnect to him until I was 30. Wow. And, um, but he- 12 years later. Yeah, he had made a a, a real impact, you know, because it was someone that really was on my wavelength and we kind of knew each other energetically from another time. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, very interesting and then later was my i looked for the right reiki master for me and i found a woman who she was just a new reiki master in fact but she she worked in the cancer hospital in the radiography department for 25 years so she worked taking pictures of people really that were having cancer and uh she could help them through that energetically. And she was the person that was the right teacher for me. And then she said to me, I really think you should learn that tapping. And I was like, oh God, is that that thing, the the tapping around the face and all that? I don't want to do it. It's enough okay. with the invisible energy and dealing with the force. Wow. Uh, and you know I, mean? <laughs> I was like, cause I didn't think I was going to be using this afterwards. I was like, why do I need to go deeper down the rabbit hole? And she said, you know, you have to learn it. I don't know why, but you have to learn it. And I trusted my, you know, my teacher, I trusted what she was telling me. And I said, okay, that's what I'll do. And I, and I learned it. And, uh, and I said, okay, if this, if this helps my back pain, then I'll, then I'll do it. If this helps what's going on in my back. Um, 
I had a whole story around my back. I loved my chiropractor, you know, she worked with the rugby team of Scotland, you know, she was, I loved going to her and having an adjustment, you know, when my back would go out, my back always told me who to trust. My back was always like biofeedback and everything that would happen in my life. And I noticed that when I was rock climbing, I didn't have any back problems when I was hanging off of a cliff. <laughs> Wow. But when I went to bend down to pick up a pencil, my back would go out. When I got out of the car the wrong way, my back would go out. What does that mean? Mm. But it, what I realized was when I was rock climbing, I wasn't thinking. Yeah. But when I was just getting out of the car or picking up a pencil, what was I thinking about? What was I ruminating about? What was I going over in my head when I went to pick up that pencil that my back would clench and the mm. muscle would spasm? And I had also had an accident in my 20s and I realized that there was all this emotion stored in my back and I started to eliminate all the storehouse of everything that I had associated around my back and I collapsed it with the tapping and I was like, wow, if this can do this for my back, then I'm in, what else can this do? This is going to be so interesting. And I went in a direction that was working with people who were sick, but also working with people who had creative blockages or were trying to launch businesses, but where, who do I think I am in doing this or didn't think that they had permission to do it. And we would be like, well, where is that coming from? Why do you have that belief? Let's get rid of it. Right. So how do people get rid of it? You know, we're so like that because we talked about this the other day. So um, I wanted you to, it's like a two-part question, but also going back to how you connected with Gordon at the age of 18 and then reconnecting with him 12 years you know, later or so like that. Like, how did that form to like in what well, came up for you big or what do you feel like now? I think these are all the synchronicities in life. Okay. Right? This is the, 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 we have synchronicities in life. It's called, Carl Jung called it the magical effect. I love that. So when, uh, uh, when when you when you look at uh, when you're always looking for oh like how can this person help me who's going to help me you're really in lack rather than in trusting that it's going to come it's like a desperation so when you when when I was eighteen previous to that I had met someone at uh, college who had ME, you know, the, the, the mono, I think they call it now. Uh, mono, it's uh, uh, like a chronic fatigue. Okay. And uh, I had never heard of it. And she hadn't really, she'd been like bedridden for all her teens, etc. And we met and all of a sudden she had all this energy and her parents were like, what is going on? Who is this girl that you're hanging out with? What is going on? Why, like we've sent you to all these doctors and all of a sudden you're dancing in the car park with the, you, you know, your car doors open. You have not danced in like five years. So we just started to hang out. And then she asked me uh, if I wanted to come to Florida. Uh, they, had, uh, they had a place there. And uh, I came over and they knew Gordon and Gordon was coming to the house to kind of meet people and do some counseling. And when he came through the door and I had at this point, 
my friend didn't know that I was brought up with all of this. So when he walked through the door, I all the color drained for me because I, on some level, there was a soul recognition. And he was standing at the drawer and he looked at me and the room, you know that effect and <laughs> like get out <laughs> where someone's standing, but the room kind of, they pull forward and the room pulls back. Yeah. And I, it was the first time it ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, okay, something's going on here and I don't know what it is because I have yeah. never had this happen in my life. So everybody's like, are you all right? Do you need some tea? Are you really nervous about meeting Gordon? And I was like, yeah, that must be what it is. But I knew it wasn't because I already, this, this work didn't really phase me. Yeah. Uh, anything metaphysical, anything existential, anything otherworldly. And when I met him uh, one-to-one, he said, we know each other. This is from another time. <laughs> Do you want to figure it out? <laughs> And, wow, that's uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, and we did, and uh, he he told me things about my mother, you know, why she was having her rheumatoid arthritis, the things that were going on with her, her worry, how she was brought up with worry, how she needed to like change her mindset, and you know, he gave me a tape, you know, he gave me a CD of a visualization meditation, which to this day my mother still listens to. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, she was very connected to him, even though she never met him. And then years later, when I moved to Miami, the internet had just, you know, it was starting to be big and like, this is, you know, like 99, 2000. And I was like, okay, I wonder if there's, if, if that guy that I met all those years ago, that, that shaman, I wonder if he has a website and I put it in and he popped up and I called him and he called me back and we spoke for three hours. Wow. See? And we'd never really, and then we would just, and he would never tell me what to do. Like I would say to him, oh, I did a, a, a fire walk. And he would say, oh yeah, I did a fire walk in 1974 with, you know, Black Elk, you know, <laughs> you know in wherever. But he would never tell me, he would never try and guide me into stuff that he had done. He would just be there for my own journey and, and we would discuss it. He was never like, be like me, walk my path like me. You know, yeah. he was like, what did you get from that? What, did, what was your experience? What he you wanted you to just do it yourself. He wanted me to do it himself. But he was there for me if yeah. anything happened that was otherworldly or anything that would happened that I couldn't kind of put into context. And I would call him and say, this, this is what happened. This is what I saw. What yeah. is that? And he would tell me what that was. Indeed, indeed. I think that's incredible, though, you know, just to be able to, you connect with them at first, and then years later, you get to reconnect and yeah. to see, like, this guy is just, he's not really saying too much or giving you this blueprint, but he's allowing you to do it yourself because it's within known within ourselves. So yeah. um, this Reiki master, tell us about her, you know, and uh, what did you, what did you learn Um that was most valuable to you to help you implement into your life, to help you to step in to being able to um, run your own practices and meet people and start to do it on your own, you know, really. I, I think uh, energetic alignment is really important for me. You know, I didn't choose this Reiki master because she, was, she, she had 20 years under her belt, right? 
I chose this Reiki master because A, she came from like kind of the medical model and I needed to speak, talk that talk with my dad's doctors and my mom's doctors and kind of see where I could energetically kind of intervene. Uh, and, you know, the doctors got it all about emotion. They, they, uh, back then, they already knew. They just didn't know what to do about it, uh, that your emotional well-being is going to affect your, your, your physical body. So when... Um, I uh, met with Christina and I meet with all of my future students as well, you know, and uh, I, I met her, I met other Reiki masters, but they were a little too um, being, oh, this is the light. This is the, this, you know, this is divine white light. This is coming at me with singing bowls. You know, this was not what I wanted to go into a hospital talking to a, a doctor uh, with. I wanted someone to tell me it was a biophoton emission. <laughs> I wanted people telling me what it was biologically, what it was, what, what the, what's the physics behind this. And when I met um, Christine uh, Ross, I, I, I said, okay, let's, let's meet. And we met and she said, let me do a little kind of mini treatment on you. And she did. And all of a sudden, now, this was a period in my life where I wasn't laughing. There was nothing to laugh about. I started laughing. But you know those fits of laughter which just come out of nowhere and you just can't stop? And she started laughing. She was like, I have no idea what is going on right now. And I sat up in the bed and I says, yeah, you're the person that I need to work with because there's nothing for me to laugh about right now. But whatever that was that came right through me, you're my person. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, okay, she said, this is going to be interesting because she had never experienced it either. And, you know, because laughter kind of moves energy through the body as well. And we, we worked together. She guided me. She didn't give me any books to read. She just, it was the attunements and being there for me during this time with my family. And then Later on, I wrote four books that would take people through all their levels. And not only I wrote the four books, but students over the years would ask really interesting questions, provocative questions of the consciousness of today. What was, what was going to help me today party? Not what would help me in the 1920s. What's relevant today with social media, what's happening? and uh, with haters and jealousy and people saying things to me online, you know? So these questions started to uh, make my books fatter and fatter and fatter, you know, because I would answer them and someone would say to me, that needs to be in the book, Patty. That needs to be. So for 15 years, it was me teaching classes, taking notes, and then at night, putting the additions that sometimes what I would teach orally I would put in the book. Indeed. So out of all these four, out of the four books you wrote in, or so like that, and you can just uh, you can go into each and every last one of them, you know, or so like that. Um, I know you got a new book too as well that you just recently yeah. launched. So congratulations <laughs> on that. So which yeah, one yeah. is your most favorable and why? Well, the four books are really to take you through the different stages of being connected, completely connected without uh being really tuned in and getting out of your way and all the mechanisms that you've got and all the belief systems that you've got in the rig system 
uh, and that is the Reiki levels. And you learn the tapping at level two. But I realized that we were doing something really different uh, with the tapping when I was in the Heal documentary because people had said to me, okay, I've been tapping for years, but I've never had that feeling that I just got from watching you do it. So what are you doing differently? So then I had to go and unpack, okay, what am I doing differently? I'm getting all these emails of, and I realized that my merging of the spiritual conscious energy of being connected to spirit, being connected to that, that the, the unknown was a huge component with the tapping. So I decided that I was going to write a book uh, a few months ago. I was going to write a book in a month. And I was going to do a workshop simultaneously for four weeks with people that I knew that were, I'm gonna, I was going to write three chapters a week. And they were going to uh, test it out. And it was so successful that it then turned into another three chapters on top of that. So in total, Total is now 16 chapters. Now it's getting edited because I want this book to be going out with a work with a with a workshop attached to it that people can learn it themselves and do it on themselves on their back pain on their limiting beliefs like what is my inherited beliefs what is my 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 mantra that I'm seeing that's coming out of my mouth that was my mother why am I seeing that why that's not even my belief but how do I get rid of it. Indeed. Where were we at? Um, so why did uh why is tapping so powerful, you know, and um how does it really help us shift the mindset? Because the body has think of it like a super highway of um energy that goes through the, the entire body. And when you are say four years old or five and something happens, see it's traumatic or you hear someone telling you the same mantra, you're, ne you're never gonna amount to much. Or who do you think you are? You think you're better than your old man? All these different things that then get seeded in the subconscious that you might not even know. And as you get older, you can be, you know, the best, football player, you can be the best, whatever. But if you have this thing that in the, the tail end of it is telling you, who do you think you are? You think you're better than everybody else? You think you're going to make it? You're nobody. You know, these are the things that can derail someone because it was, it was, it's an inherited belief. And, um... and when you start to recognize these inherited beliefs of what why is it i know that i had it in me to do x y and z so there must be something inside of me that i can shift and then you start to like i i use pause and joy because let's pause in that moment of let's enjoy unpacking our stuff let's enjoy self-inquiry let's enjoy saying okay what is this moment that there's some repetitive pattern in my life that I get so far along and then I hit a wall or I get so far along and then someone always comes in and derails me 
or always wants to do business with me and it never goes anywhere or there's always the same pattern it's di different people's names but it's the same character that keeps showing up and when you start to see the pattern you can change the pattern most people don't see the pattern mm. because they sometimes go into that place of why is this thing always happening to me why mm -hmm. is this thing always a da -da -da? and they can't get out of wait a minute Let's take, let's zoom out, right? Let's zoom out and see the big picture here. Oh my God, this is the same thing that happened to me when I was 21, 24, uh, 26. This is the same thing. Oh my God, it even goes back further. That's the same thing that happened to me in elementary school when that boy said that thing to me in the playground or when that kid did this or the teacher did this. And I believed it. I believed it. You know, Steve Harvey tells a really interesting story of when he was at school, he was asked what he wanted to do. And he said he wanted to be in television. And his teacher said, I can't, I'm going to paraphrase, but his teacher said, it's, it's online. Steve talks about it in one of his after shows. He said, his teacher said, you know, like, like choose a real job, basically. And he went back to his father and his father said, Tell, show me that piece of paper that you give to the teacher that you wanted to be. He says, I want you to read that every single night that you want to be on television, what you wrote. Mm -hmm. You know, so sometimes it's not family members that are kind of trying to snuff you out, although sometimes it is. Let's be honest, sometimes it's, it's the people closest to you of like, oh, so what are you doing this podcast? Like, where's it going to go? What's going to happen? And there's the hecklers and the naysayers. Yeah. But that's their own stuff. Right. You're bringing up stuff for them. And sometimes it's not strangers. Sometimes it's people that, you know, is your cousin. Yeah. Yeah, your loved ones. <laughs> yeah. And you have to be okay with it. You know, my mother was even like, when I was doing this work, she was like, oh, oh, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, you can always go back to you know what you did before because <laughs> yeah. she was panicking that but that was my own mother's stuff that wasn't my stuff but I didn't get all angry at her of why can't she believe in me why can't she like hold me up like you know I'm, I'm in the lion king you know <laughs> it's, it's like she's got her own insecurities and her own story from being you know uh leaving school at 14. So what steps would you give to those who are listening right now, like you say, instead of listening to naysayers, maybe loved ones that's not really supporting your mission, what steps would you tell them to take to being able to just listen to that inner voice, not the other genie that's saying, oh, I'm not able to, I can't, I won't. Well, which that... voice are you going to tune into? Which voice? Yeah. That's it. You can't, you, you, you can't tune into both of them. You have to choose a, choose a lane. Yeah. Choose a side. Are you going to sit there and listen to all the naysayers and the hecklers? Or are you going to listen to all the praisers? Because then you've got the praisers that will come along, the sycophants. Or do you turn around and say, you know what? I'm going to go into the inner listener. Yeah. I'm going to listen within. And people said to me, like people who were really concerned. You know, I have a very close friend that, you know, he's now in uh, film and television, but you know, back then I knew him in London. He had headhunted me years ago for something. And he said to me, we all thought you had lost your marbles. We all thought that you had lost your mind going into con 
consciousness and awareness. And he says, and that's all I hear now. Oh, I want to make a conscious documentary. I want to make a conscious show. I want to make a, like an uplifting thing. That's all I hear. He says, but you were way before the curve 20 years ago. He says, but we all thought you had cracked up. And, and it was funny. I remember someone saying to me, you know, I don't get it. I don't get the tapping thing. I don't get this thing. And I was at lunch with this person and I just looked at them and I said, that's okay because I get it. I get it. And I don't know exactly where it's going, but there's something pulling me. And there's something compelling me. And that's all I have to follow. All right, indeed. I love that. I love that. So let's get into Hill documentary. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know that you, that's how I was able to really see you and your line of work and um, everything. And I uh, noticed she was working with this one young lady. I don't remember her name, but it was just consistent throughout the film. And it was just so powerful. You can just, somebody that was just a far looking, maybe they, they was there in the room with you all or just somebody just walking, watching the documentary. I knew that something really sparked something yeah. inside them. So tell us about that moment and what, what it was like working with, um, I know you just didn't work with just one, but just that one young lady and just a few other people that you, fer- you felt very close connections with and just the experience throughout the whole, the whole film. That was your first, doc- first, first film, correct? Uh, yes. Okay. I, well, I, I, the, the reason why I was in the film was, you know, we talked about the magical effect earlier, right? The, the synchronicities. So about seven years previously, uh, you know, everybody is always like, like, oh, what's the formula? How did you get into heal? <laughs> and the formula is just do your work. Just do your work and keep doing your podcasts and keep doing your stuff and love it, love everything about it and enjoy it. Pause and enjoy what you're doing. So uh, a producer that I knew, she had set up a company uh, to help veterans called Serve the Warrior. And I had worked at this stage with um, quite a few Vietnam vets uh, uh, that had got into past their Saturn return, you know, uh, in their 60s and they were like wanting to look at what had happened when they were 19. And um, they asked me uh, to work with these veterans from uh, the Gulf War, uh, and I did. And they gave me a kind of trailer of my work, but they actually couldn't put the work out because it was so intense. And so I just popped that trailer up on YouTube (laughs) and left it and moved on and loved working with the veterans and whatever. So fast forward seven years later, and Kelly, the director, uh, was like, I really think I want to feature that tapping on the, on the documentary, that thing that happens. And but I want someone that's really worked with veterans. I want someone that's really worked with trauma and worked really with something intense, like, you know, not just tapping on, you know, stuff. Uh, so she, um, they looked on my uh, on, on YouTube and simultaneously I'd had a meditation where I had got the message that I needed to do more video. So I called the director that I know you and said, Hey, do you want to do some content? 
so that we can put up put up some inspirational you know stories of the shifts that you know we know and i see and he said yeah he says is this stuff going to go on youtube patty and i said yeah and he says there's half a million of those videos on youtube he said he said it's pointless i was like thanks <laughs> so i let it go and then two days later i get this phone call from this irish girl who says so we saw your video on YouTube. So I thought it was my friend winding me up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? You saw my video on YouTube? Uh, we want to talk to you about a documentary. And I've been approached by documentaries before, but they just weren't, they weren't in alignment for me. So I called them back, uh, asked them, you know, spoke to them, spoke to uh, the producer, spoke to Kelly, the director, asked them what they were wanting to achieve, what, they, what it was going to look like. Because um, I'm the guardian of this work in my realm, you know. And uh, she, I, I really felt a connection to all of them and what her vision was and she, that she really wanted to get this work out and help people. And, and uh, I said, okay, let's meet for tea. So we all met for tea and within 30 seconds, we all just clicked, right? And she was like, okay, let's film it. Uh, there's this lady. Um, I, I want you to work with her. You know, she... And at this point, you know, Ava was the perfect person, but I would never really work with someone like Ava because Ava wouldn't be looking for me, right? She wouldn't, she wouldn't be looking to look at her emotional ex excavation. So... She said that she would do it. And I always have a litmus test to see if people are really going to go there. And if you don't really aren't ready to do the litmus test, you won't be able to sit in front of me and do this work because it's deep, vulnerable work. So I sent her the email that I sent that asks specific questions on how to unpack it. And that email is actually gonna, I'm building out a website right now called the Cope Kit for people to go to, to be able to cope. Doesn't matter what your thing is. I'll be able to unpack things for you and show you a way of doing it. So she sent me the email and I said, okay, she's, um, she's, gonna, she's gonna go there. Uh, but the the directors and the producers were like, oh my God, is she, is she? Because she was, you know, she's she was a tough cookie. She'll even say that herself. She's a tough cookie. You know, you just put things in your back pocket and you just get on with it. Until it catches up with you. Through disease, through, you know, limited, limited beliefs, all sorts of stuff. Um, your business derailing, whatever it is that's going to get your attention. So she... Um, when we were in that moment, um, I had also sent energy to the moment and also the, the day before. So it was in a space that everybody kind of felt relaxed. And she, I, and I think the part that they put in was actually the warm up for the session because in the warm up for the session, I could even feel that all of a sudden when she was in front of me, she was like, oh, Something's going to happen. So we're going to, something's going to come up. Something, we're going to go there. And I said, listen, let, why don't we tap on the unknown of not knowing what's going to happen right now, but we're going to do it together. 
And the editor actually put that in because she thought that that was really significant because that's the that's the that's the first step on the journey, right? I don't know if I'm going to be really terrified or what's going to come up from my past or what's going to come up that's going to be waiting for me that I'm going to have to deal with, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And then we went into it. And everybody in the room, you know, there's a dimensional change when I work with people and they could feel it. It's like you're in suspended animation. It's like everything kind of freezes and goes into kind of like now time. It like feels like slow motion, but it's not. So when do you think that breakthrough moment for Ava was during the time of working with Well, that, that was the, that was kind of like, I say like, you know, when you have a, you have a bottle where everything's bottled up and you just crack the top and it fizzes. Yeah, that was the fizz where things started to let out. But Eva didn't expect that to happen. She'd never anticipated that that was going to happen. So Eva and I didn't work together for another maybe six months or seven months because she was like, wow, I didn't anticipate that. I didn't, you know, and then she came back around again and then she came back to me again uh, with other stuff. So it's about you know this journey is very deep and it's very vulnerable but the uh, what the emails i got from people that eva gave as a gift to everybody in the world that that's that saw that moment was well if eva can do it i can do it (laughs) and i know that i need to look at my childhood abuse trauma and i know that i need to look at this trauma and if this woman can do it and there's a tool for this, I can do it. Like I've had emails from people in Ireland that are being like, I knew that I had to look at that thing and I've never looked at it, but she did it and it made me courageous too. I love that. Um, So what did you enjoy most about working in this documentary and also what did you learn from it? Um, From just, yeah. I, I, I tell you what it gave me the greatest gift of I was so ungrateful on some level. I see this shift every single day. What you saw with Ava is my normal, right? So imagine you seeing that every day. So it was no big deal for me to see Ava shift like that. But I noticed everybody in the room being a little like, very hyper after it being very like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Oh my goodness. Right. (laughs) And then I was like, okay. And then when we were in, it premiered in Sedona at the film festival and uh, there was 700 people in the cinema and you could hear a pin drop and everyone cracked open. Um, And even, even some of my students who were with me, they started crying and I was like, what are you all crying? Or you see this all the time in workshops. What's going on? So I had to really sit with this. And I was like, wow, we're doing something really special here. And I had no idea because I've been so in a vacuum in my own community for so long that I didn't realize that this was so impactful. It was kind of like I was in my own laboratory, but now I had to take the vaccine out to the whole world. So for me, this last three years has been doing a lot of Q&As, which have been fascinating. You know, I met this death doer in um, 
in Santa Fe when I was with Greg Braden. And the death doula, I don't know if your viewers know what a death doula is. There's a thing called birth doulas. Birthing doulas help you with the baby. They give you, you know, like emotional support. They help you. Um, but there's a death doula that helps you die. Helps you at the end of life. And I think we're actually going to see a lot more of them in the, in the next uh, 10, 20 years. And she said to me at the Q&A, she says, I love what you're doing because you are actually... Um, oh, just she said, I actually see this happening a lot. Um, I actually see um, people at the end of the life with so much regret. And there's like very famous, like eight things that people regret at the end of their life. Like, I wish I'd loved more. I, think, I wish I'd taken more chances in life. I wish I hadn't held myself back. I wish I'd looked at myself. All these things is documented. And she said, but you are actually um, getting rid of that right in the middle of people's lives so that they don't have the regrets later on. You're activating them in the middle or at the beginning, you know, depending if I'm working with, a young person or, um, you know, my, my, my youngest student was five. And you know what he said to his mother? He said, why did it take you so long to bring me here? Oh. <laughs> five-year-old. I never heard that before. Mm. Yeah, a five-year-old said, why did it take you so long to bring me here to me? Mm -hmm. Because now he knew certain things, you know? Um, so it's, it's, everybody comes to this work when they come to this work. You know, I've had people come to me in their eighties with things that they just don't want to carry anymore. I've had people come to me, you know, when they're, even when they're successful, they're like, oh my God, that stuff's coming up and I'm going to sabotage it because my upper limit problem's coming and I can feel myself sabotaging it because I don't feel as if I deserve this much joy. Why do you feel like you, you're, you're so gifted in this area so humbly and that you've helped so many people heal? Like, what do you what do you think is, besides the tapping, what else do you think that is that just, you know, just like, I guess a pause and joy moment for people to see that, you know, you're the go-to um, to really, really be able to get through this post of trauma, post of depression, and um, anything else that maybe face a hardship with their life? I don't know I, if, like, I feel, I feel as if everyone can do this. That's why I wrote the, I've written the book and I'm going to have it published and have the workshop attached to it as well because I feel as if this is something everybody can do. It's something that uh, it's not just me. It's um, everyone. I'm a representation of what is possible for you as well if this is what you want to go into or if this is what you, who you want to help you know i i don't want to be going around saying oh i'm the only source of you know what's going to happen here i want to be you know have people that are going to take this into other charities other foundations that say i want to use this coping kit with 
my people that are, you know, in drug rehabilitation or these people who are in um, or, or with kids that have been abused or with people who are in domestic violence and they translate it into their language. They then pick up the, the, the baton of how that's going to go in their life you know, um, in a way that they can translate it and it'll make sense to their community. Just like, you know, my students, when they do this with family members, you know, like right now, you know, a lot of people have been using their tools and losing their skills that they've learned just for themselves. All, all of a sudden, they're now the go-to in their family. Because they have a tool belt that no one else has that seems to be working for them so let's work for everyone absolutely i love that you said that you're not only that source that is other people too yeah. as well that do similar work but you have this sort of creativity to you that has the whole tapping to it as well because i looked at him and i'm like this is working i'm looking i'm like i'm i'm, I'm in the film myself i'm not <laughs> physically in the film but as i'm watching it because i watched it a few times or so like that and i just was truly amazed and i knew you was proud of probably just add that as well to, you know, your line of uh, films and accomplishments. But I wanted to ask you this question here. What do you feel like thus far in the journey? What do you feel like has been the biggest struggle for you? And how did you rise above that struggle, you know, to being able to share this testimony with younger women who looking to get into the similar space that you're in? Um, I think the biggest struggle when I said earlier that I was like the reluctant healer, right? Because, you know, I think the struggle is, you know, for anyone that's like, oh, I don't want to call myself a healer. I like, I had, I had a hot button for that. You know, I don't want to call myself a healer. I don't want to like say that word, you know, I'm like, what else can I call myself? And I, decided to tap on it and what was that bringing up for me what was that why was i having such a trigger and a charge around this word right and it wasn't around the word it was about people's perception of the word of like oh you're one of them you're one of those healers you're uh, so i had to neutralize that within myself and the moment i neutralized it do you know what happened people stopped calling me healers they, say, they stopped saying I was a healer. They actually would say to their friends, you know, you need to go see Patty. And they'd be like, okay, what does she do? And they're like, you just need to go see Patty. There you go. I love that. Um, and and they wouldn't see that. I was a healer. They wouldn't see it. They wouldn't try yeah. and explain the Reiki. They wouldn't try and explain I, the I tapping. They would be like, do you trust me on this? Yeah. <laughs> you need to go see her. And whatever she asks you to do, <laughs> do it. <laughs> That's amazing that you brought that up because you know how people nowadays giving themselves certain titles like a life coach. Everybody's giving themselves oh, that title oh, yes, yes, about yes. something different. So go ahead, you could go continue. I just wanted to bring that upon. So you know what? Get rid of your charge or trigger around the word of it. Do it. And once you get rid of your own charge and trigger about it, it people will stop calling you. <laughs> you know, it's like, they're just like, you're just this, you're a phenomenon, Ralph. You know, you've just got this spirit about you. You're a phenomenon. They don't turn around and be like, oh, you're a 
your keynote speaker, your podcast, it's so limiting because it keeps you in a box. Because what are all the other things that you are that haven't even manifested yet? Wow. Mm. That's powerful. <laughs> right? Yeah. So really giving yourself permission to take the call, even if your family don't get it, especially if your family don't get it. That's, that's, that's the test, right? That's the challenge. I'm still going to do it anyway. Yeah, indeed. What keeps you grounded, Patty? Uh, nature, my dogs, uh, my family. Definitely my family in Glasgow keep me grounded. <laughs> oh, so you still have close relationships with your family out in Glasgow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They come out here and I go there. I was there last November. And, um, but they, they keep me grounded. You know, I was brought up in a family where it was, if you're going to go into this work, you're going to have to be able to describe it to your cousin who's a plumber and your other cousin that is a welder and your other, your other, your auntie who, you know, works at the credit union. Don't get too highfalutin. <laughs> you know, it was always about keeping grounded in how can I put this across that everybody can use it. It's not just those that are very successful that use these tools to get through all the pitfalls. Because yeah. they all use them. Yeah. And how do we make the most out of the moments that we're living in right now? You know, with so much going on, you have um, an unseen uh, virus, you have riots, you have protests going, of course, for a good cause, you know, or so, but you have so much going on. There's so much a person can take in. How do, how do we, you know, uh, I guess become present. How do we make the most out of the moment of, like you said earlier, of just enjoying the little things and being grateful for I, 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 what I'm going to be doing, uh, in the next, ne next month, I keep getting this thing. We have to go on a complaining cleanse. And I'm not talking about the people that have went through some trauma with this. I'm talking about the people who are like, oh, I can't get to the gym. Right? That's the least of your worries right now. Uh, so it's, it's like, stop complaining and be here in what is going on right now and enjoy what you can't do, not what has been taken. Okay, it's inconvenient that you can't go to the gym and you can't do this, and you can't go and meet your friends for lunch like you used to, or have your big parties. That's in, that's an inconvenience. Mm. And enjoy, be in it, what you can. Maybe it's enjoying learning something. Maybe it's enjoying learning a language. Maybe it's enjoying spending more time with your family. Maybe it's enjoying teaching family members how to use Zoom you know, and be able to connect with them on FaceTime. Maybe it's, you know, those are the things that having, having a family time on, 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 on the internet, getting them to be able to uh, learn it. Uh, all of these different aspects of really how we encounter one another. And also being very um, considerate of we're all going through this at different levels. Everybody has different levels of anxiety. 
Some people are anxious because they don't know what's going to happen with their house, with their kids going back to school, all different things. And everybody is just like in life. In life, take away the virus. There's hostile, there's a hostile environment in some people's lives. It could be their partner. It could be, um, you know, police brutality. It could be the way people are in their you know, in, their, in, in the city that they, they're in or the area that they live in. And you don't know what people are going through and you have to be considerate of everybody's on a journey that might not look like yours. And if you can let someone out today, you know, in traffic and just alleviate that a little, let someone in on the freeway, you know, give someone a, you know, a thumbs up if you're wearing a mask uh and you know are nodding at people and how can we how can we still communicate with these with these barriers and you're doing that through this podcast you know you're you're communicating indeed even through COVID-19 right (laughs) yeah and it's uh and I think also really looking for the things when we go into the joy of what we're enjoying in this moment then you say, then it opens up the doors to gratitude. It starts to fling open the doors of, wow, I'm really grateful that I'm healthy. I'm really grateful that I can work online. I'm really grateful that I realized that I never liked that job anyway. And I've always wanted to do this other thing. And Rel's given me the inspiration to do it. You know, in this moment, I'm going to decide that this is it. If there's ever a year that you were to go into inventory of your life and say, this is the year that I'm going to decide for me what I am here to do and what I want to bring forward and give yourself permission to do that, then this is the year. Yeah, it's powerful, powerful. Thank you so much for that. Honestly, this is the year. Absolutely. This is the year. This is I think not... we're going to see a lot of innovation. I think we're going to see a lot of invention. I think we're going to see a lot of ideas. I think we're going to see a lot of initiatives popping up in cities. I think we're going to have a, a lot of people who are, are activating and saying, okay, you know what? The not, government's not going to do that for us. We're going to start a nonprofit. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to get together as mothers, as, as brothers, as sisters, and we're going to do it for our own communities. Absolutely. I love and we're that. Share, and we're going to share knowledge and we're going to share resources and we're going to share imagination and we're going to share inspiration and creativity. I wanted you to take some time, you know, to really, really take some time to share something that's maybe on your mind for a while or something you never was able to share on a film or never an interview. I just wanted to give you some space real fast to do that. there is anything that I haven't shared because I'm always sharing in workshops and with students and with people all the time but as a collective through your audience 
I'm feeling I want to share to them that you are not your circumstances. And decide right now, if I am not my circumstances, if I am not the circumstances that I find myself in, are maybe my parents' choices, or maybe my non-choices, to decide what I want to do, be, or have in my life. And right now, I'm going to decide to really get in my boat and put the other in the water and start to steer my life in the direction that I'm choosing to go consciously with awareness and a vision. And I'm going to be happy in the boat. I'm going to enjoy that I'm not at the destination yet. I'm going to be unattached to the fruits of the action here. And I'm going to enjoy where we're going. Yes. And I'm going to trust the wind that's going to pick up my sail and take me to places that I couldn't even anticipate. There's a place that I know where I'm going to go, but I'm also open to where I could go that could just blow my mind. Awesome. And uh, it's powerful. When it's all said and done, Miss Patty Penn, what do you mostly want to be remembered for? activating joy bringers <laughs> into this world that takes us into a place that everybody realizes they're here to bring something forward that was already built into their system that they weren't told that they had to go on an adventure to uncover that the treasure was inside and it's inside all of you and no one clued you in on that because they weren't clued in and they weren't clued in and the grandparents weren't clued in no one actually thought to stop that they were anything but useful back in the day. What use am I to people? That you're not here just to be useful. You're here to bring forward your mission, your message, your joys, your insights, your ideas, your inventions, your initiatives. You can... If you can right now at this moment be able to write maybe um, uh, I'll say a page essay or less than that to your mother and your father, what would those words be like? What would you say to them right now at this point in your life? I would say that I was blessed to be able to have 
this intergenerational, like we didn't just look at their stuff, they looked at their parents' stuff as well. And we were able to unpack not only my parents' stuff, but their, my grandparents of why, what, what it was that was coming down the inherited beliefs. And hasn't it been such a trip being able to do that openly and um, abundantly without feeling judged, without feeling attacked? But there was just an isness of those times, you know, there was an isness of my grandmother's times of after the Second World War of being on rations and being poor and, you know, and that she did the best that she knew how with what she knew. Because there was a lot of stuff she didn't know and also with my mom and also with me and it's, it's being able to put all your cards on the table and say, okay, let's Let's see what it is that we need to clear here. I would be in a place of thankfulness and, and a place of, uh, because when my dad saw Heel, he was in the park with his dog and I, a guy ran up to him who he knew who had depression. And my dad's kind of like the go-to depression kind of poster child. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, Pat, I saw that documentary Heel. And, they, and my dad's like, he says, he says, I'm doing it. I'm doing the tapping. He says, and it's helping. And I just want to tell you. And my dad in that moment realized that if he hadn't had his depression and I hadn't then went on my journey to do my work, that guy in the park, wouldn't I came up to him and said that what he saw in heel was helping him. So he had a moment of kind of mind blowing and he came to me and he said, um, he says, okay, he says, let's write the book of what happened. And, uh, and he says, if it helps one person, that, then it'll be worth it. And that's a big thing for my father because my father's, you know, just, uh, ordinary guy that doesn't want that any attention he, he's not he doesn't that's just not in his his makeup yeah you know i mean he doesn't it's it's something for him even that he, he finds difficult so um but he he's like okay let's let's put it out there to show how we navigated and the things that we use and the things that were really great for us That's a moment right there. That's yeah. a moment right there. Oh, man, I enjoyed you, Patty. Every step of this interview, I really want to take some time to just show some gratitude before we get out of here to say thank you for really being here, being present with us all. We've been talking, well, we've been talking almost every day. It, it seems like, you know, and I love the consistency. I love your energy. I love how far you've came in your journey in teaching us younger ones as well to really continue to keep pushing forward to not worry about the circumstance that we was brought up into or worry about the naysayers or the neglectors or the rejectors right to continue to keep pushing forward and keep our head high but keep the most important thing the man above faith with love and passion and compassion mm -hmm. and to do everything with love and not hate right so i know i've seen as i said 
uh, your line of work. My first time was the heal, but before that, you've been healing and you've been guiding, you've been helping, and you've been just so much of a, 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 like you say, guardian in people's lives. And you was there with your mother. You was there with your father every step of their way as they went through, you know, what they may went through years ago. And you have a close relationship with your family in Scotland. And, you know, you're very, very, you're more than just a leader. Like you're just this, this is the one. That's what I'm going to say, you know, or so like that. And I think anybody that crossed your direction would truly, truly be moved and inspired because before they even hear your mission, because they can just feel what they're around or so like that. And um, that's what I've really got from you um, from. And I'm glad to really share this friendship with you and for many more years to come. And uh, I just want to say most importantly, with all gratitude, thank you for being present with us here today. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. So if you want, you can go ahead and share. I know you said you got your website coming up. Um, and you can share that. And you can also share where they can get their books, you know, to support that as well. And you can share about your latest book where, you know, that's going to be, where can they get that? Or when that's going to be released? Yeah, that's going to be coming out uh, near the end of the year because I have okay. to... Build videos for the, the work. And even, even upcoming workshops or so like that you may have coming up in California. Who knows? So, yeah. feel free. Well, I, I, it's the Pause and Joy website, and the newsletter goes out at uh, the first of the month, every month. And uh, Pause and Joy with Patty is the Instagram. And you can um, just, you know, add yourself to the the subscription and also on uh youtube is pause and joy so you know the workshops are on there i do monthly circles um i do tapping workshops i also every every month i choose something different to do i've been doing the phenomenon experiment where we connect at 11 11 every Monday and Friday for July, the, the month before it was three times uh, a month. And then I'm going to be doing something a little bit different in um, August. So I'll see what comes through. I don't try and kind of, I'm not the person that plans ahead. I'm trying to be in the present of connecting into what is it we need right now? Not what am I trying to project? What I think we need right now. The thinker really is, um, I'm trying to connect to what's in the unknown that will, and I think what I have been getting the message on is for August is gratitude, is really deepening our gratitude practice. And I did a workshop a few years ago that was the grateful gratitude. And my first line in the book was, if you think you're grateful, this is not the workshop for you because we're gonna go deep. We're going to get deeper into the underbelly of gratitude. We're not going to be all surface where I'm grateful I've got a car. I'm grateful I've got, you know, a, a, a bed to sleep in. I'm grateful. That's great, but that's a little surface. Yes. Let's get deeper into gratitude. Indeed, indeed. And we'll take that for wow. the next conversation. So we yeah. thank you so much for your time, Patty. Um, thank you. And I'm continuing to root for you every step of the way to continue to keep doing what you do, you know, the great work you're doing. 
um, honestly, it's a it's a huge blessing. So, guys, I'm Terrell Sumter. That's the one and only Miss Patty Penn. Pause and joy is her movement. So before we take any time to make a bad decision, let's pause and joy. We feel like we're going through any depression, you know, just pause and joy. Sometimes reach out to those who may can help us and listen to what they said as when Ava first met Patty, she didn't, you know, she's like, man, this is, is this really happening? But then she decided to pause and joy. So we all have those pause and joy moments in our life, y'all. Let's take some heat and take it in and implement it into our lives. So guys, this is Inspire Before We Expire. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I want you all to take some time to leave a review for us to really be able to help us expand the reach on many, many more people on iTunes, um, Pandora, Spotify, you name it. Subscribe to the show. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And let's continue to inspire before we expire people. Let's get it. <laughs>